0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to our latest edition of the Golfing Society podcast. I've got the pleasure this afternoon of having Will Hewitt from the 59 Club with me. Will is the general manager of the 59 Club UK, and their business is all about customer experience. And for those of you that have followed the Golfing Society story so far, you know the importance of making sure that the customer experience we deliver to the families that we support is first class and often going beyond and above what they've uh, experienced in their life living with a chronic illness. So I think it'd be really great to get an industry insight today from from Will in terms of the 59 Club and how they approach, making sure that that customer experience is first class, and how golf venues and hospitality venues can think differently about engaging, I suppose, more successfully, and more compassionately with some of the families we help facing challenges later in life. So without further ado, uh, Will, welcome to the Golfing Society podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Pleasure to speak as always. <laughs> we'll, we'll start by just giving a, a little bit of context to the audience, really. And I'll just pulled out a couple of stats in terms of the aging population and the size of the market, really. So it's forecast that by 2030, one in six of the UK population will be over 60. And putting that into a global context, by 2050, 60-plus population uh, around the world will double to almost 2.1, mil, 2.1 billion people. Now, that is a huge chunk of the market. And I think it's quite interesting because, as we all know, the the majority of the core customers who play golf are probably in that 55 plus age bracket. So it's quite interesting we're talking today about the growth in the aging population and also it being a key audience to the to the golf market. And possibly as we go through it, we'll, we'll explore how we can better make sure that we keep all of those golfers enjoying their golf right the way through their 50s, 60s, 70s and into their 90s. So I suppose uh, the the first um, barrier we always face, Will, is a lot of the people that we support, 50% of them have never, ever been to a golf club before, let alone play golf. And one of the biggest challenges I have is them saying that golf, that's not for me. And I'd just like to get your perspective uh, in terms of how you think we overcome those perceptions and traditional barriers to accessing golf
1: yeah yeah i think it's a, a pretty fair um suggestion uh, you you typically drive into a golf club and there's usually a big sign in the car park that says visitors welcome um but probably fair to say that that's not necessarily how we always make people feel um i think if you were to think about the reasons why um people struggle to get into golf uh, kind of typically think of three key reasons. One, you'd think um, the time. People would, would cite some kind of time constraints. The game of golf takes too long. Um, they would potentially say it's too expensive. The cost of golf equipment and the clothing and the balls and the clubs um, is, a, is a big financial outlay if people want are, are looking to kind of get all the gear before they get started. And then finally, probably um, it's just the um, perception that golf clubs can be a little bit stuffy. And it's quite an intimidating environment to, to walk into as your um, as your first experience of something when you're potentially later in life. It's, it's probably a different thing if you're a junior and you're, you're entering into that environment with people of a similar age range and a similar ability level. If you're entering into the game of golf later on in life as, as a grown adult or a more, a more mature person, um, you're probably starting to engage with people who might have been playing the game for 40, 30, 40 years by that point so um access is a really interesting thing um the the quality of of welcome the management of expectations um it, it's a really interesting thing to start looking at but those those barriers do exist um interesting to see recent numbers to suggest more people in the uk are playing golf than than ever before um and a, that that is a result of um the COVID pandemic um starting to see numbers now i don't think that trend will um will continue in that positive vein um cost um cost of living cost of golf um yeah those opportunities for people to spend time doing other things um are coming back into play um but at the same time i mean to talk about what what we can do and what people are doing um there are there are plenty of programs in terms of trying to to get particularly certain groups into golf, whether that's juniors or ladies um, or people with um, additional needs. I think that part, part of that probably has taken a little bit of a hit during the pandemic because mm. I think a lot of the progress that was made over the past 10 years into attracting new people to the game kind of went by the wayside a little bit because all of a sudden the pandemic hit and everyone wanted to play golf. So from a, the, the sustainability of golf and the success and of the business of a golf club, um, all of a sudden memberships were full, all of a sudden everyone wanted to play golf, all of a sudden people were w- willing to pay more for that experience. And so the hunger that existed within golf clubs for people to go out and source new markets of golfers um, felt a little bit like um, a lot of that hard work kind of went on the back burner again for a little bit. Um so hopefully we'll start to see those kind of programs coming back to the fore. Um, I think that people are given a lot of opportunities potentially to get into golf now through um, some of the incredible kind of entertainment and practice facilities that is going on um, or is is being added into certain facilities. So things like Trackman Range, Foresight Range, Top Tracer, um, introducing people to the game of golf primarily as entertainment rather than sport. Yeah. Um, is a is a relatively um, inexpensive um, and fun way to engage with the sport um, and possibly a great introduction Um I think a lot of focus on pace of play and short course events whether it's nine holes six holes um, night golf things like that just mean that maybe a golf experience doesn't have to be a day or half a day out um, so and then I think kind of how clubs are developing in terms of um, the welcome that they're looking to provide, how they're changing the face of their clubhouse facilities, the modernization, um of their facilities, I think also makes it look a little bit more welcoming to somebody
0: approaching a golf club for the first time. For me, you've just hit the nail right on the head with that last comment you made. It's all about that that first touch point, that initial welcome, because, I mean, you you know that within within how I decide on whether a golf club is going to be right for, for us to operate and, and and collaborate with is all about uh, doing a mystery shop. And I start by imagining I've just landed on this planet that's got golf courses on it I've never been to it before. And I just stand out at the first touch point, which is often um, coming off the road, coming into the car park whatever and i just think about it through a different lens and it's that i've never been to this world of golf before and for a lot of my customers bearing my 50 percent have never been to a golf course let alone played it before that's really important to me and i think that it will be interesting just to just explore for a couple of moments the importance of that mystery shopping work that you do as an organization
1: yeah so i guess The end goal of what we're looking to do is to provide golf clubs with objective data to understand their own strengths and weaknesses and the opportunities which exist within their member and guest experience to improve. And um, we do that in two ways. We do it through gathering, through providing software to gather survey data, and we do it through a program of mystery shopping. So we um, we send golfers into clubs to have a typical golfer experience from the point of booking, the information they receive prior to arriving at a venue uh, the arrival experience and the welcome they get some facility checks in terms of locker room practice facilities and so on the golf course itself um, but one of the key focuses that w- we touch on is is the management of the people's expectations as they're as they're participating in that kind of journey yeah. um, but also the interactions with the people um, the people that exist in a business and, and one thing that I always say to people is we we work with over 200 golf clubs in the UK and not every one of those will be a bucket list golf course that people just need to tick off and want to have that once in a lifetime experience. But in terms of the quality of welcome, the quality of information they provide, the fun um, in the engagement, the stories that they tell, it is a completely level playing field. So whether you're turning up for a game of golf at Sawgrass or whether you're turning up at your local municipal, a lot of the opportunities are exactly the same in each of those clubs. Obviously, the level of investment and in the golf course design, well not they're not a level playing field, but human interaction and information provision and the way that you make someone feel, um, I think that there is significant opportunity. And so um, we deliver a programme of mystery shopping and we work with clubs to understand what the opportunities are and then we help them... Um, go through that journey of upskilling the people within their business to appreciate those opportunities and really see what difference they
0: can make to someone's experience? Well, I think it's, it's it's fantastic. And the reason I think it's fantastic is that the audience won't know the detail behind signing up to be a mystery shopper, but I've got a few of my golfers living with either cognitive impairment or diagnosis of Parkinson's that have actually signed up to your mystery shopping list. So they actually go into venues and are part of your um, a part of the, the the team of mystery shoppers that basically give feedback on their experience. And I I think that's a fascinating move forward because it's almost like the first step into how we best engage with people facing these challenges, whether it be cognitive or physical impairment. And and I think it's lovely that, that my golfers have, have stepped up to be mystery shoppers. But the fringe benefit of that is, of course, they get access to, to to your venue database and get the opportunity to experience golf hospitality and for some of the carers that go with them, the spa experience as well. So I just think it's a fascinating start of something that could be quite special.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think the other thing to, to mention on that is um, the golf world um, is full of opinion. And that's p- partly why we love it. It's because we all have an opinion. What's our favourite course? Who does this the best? Who does that the best? And we, we take a slightly different or a very different approach in that. That's deliberately not what we do. We we absolutely want to send a a pretty much an average golf punter to a venue to make an assessment of that venue. We don't we don't send golf professionals. We don't send people like myself who've worked in the industry for many years because we appreciate that that people like us are full of uh bias whether it's conscious or unconscious and we're full of our own opinion um we want to deliver something which is repeatable which is consistent and which is which is something which is pretty straightforward to measure and so yes of course um we work um and we operate in a world which is full of opinion but we are we are very much about that objective data so whether we send um female mystery shopper, whether we send male mystery shopper, whether we send 21-year-old, 46-year-old, 65-year-old, then it should be a process which repeats. Um, and within that, there's always nuances to see perhaps how a slightly different individual is is treated, um, whether they see slightly different facilities and so on. Um, but in general, it will be a process that repeats. And there is, that's, yes, there is an absolutely a place in our industry for subjective data, because that's that gut feel that we all have when we leave somewhere. But um, dealing with facts um, helps. Typically, helps you make better decisions as an
0: operator. T- totally agree. And and I think that the importance of people, both in your business and, and in what we do, is at the heart of what we do. Because we we put people at the heart of every single golf in society session, and we make sure that they, as an individual get the most out of their experience when they're with us at a golf venue and that takes a lot of time and effort and it takes a great team of people with the right skill set so to be kind to be patient to be compassionate and to inspire and to be positive and to engage and to get people to really go away with that smile on their face and thinking they want to come back for more That's that to me is is all about two things. First and foremost, it's all about people. And then secondly, it's about great venues with great spaces and places that our customers can come and enjoy. And I think that's one of the challenges I have found, Will, as I've gone through different clubs, is the level of understanding around some of the um, challenges facing our aging population, especially dementia, is is not great. And I think even within club memberships, the understanding of certain signs that might be manifesting themselves within members of certain golf clubs are not always noticed and well understood. So for me, there's a whole there's a whole bit around upskilling and retraining the key audiences, i.e., the hospitality team and the club management teams and the members. All the people engaged with golf to really learn a lot of those softer skills to understand a change of behavior and to think differently about how they can positively turn that change of behavior around. So I don't know what your views are in, in terms of that sort of upskilling of, of, of the sort of golf industry. Yeah. Golf I, I think I think that I um, completely agree with what you said. I,
1: for me, I'd often talk about the facility being the cake. And the people within the facility are, are the chair, are they kind of icing on the cake yeah, and the sure. chair yeah. in yeah. the if you've got a good facility typically people will be reasonably satisfied with what you're putting out um but to, to move that level of service and that experience on to that next level it's it's what can the people who work for you add to that experience and so, so some of the key things for me would be um how interested are they in you how how enthused are they in their interactions? How um, how many questions do they ask you? Do they are they just passing the time of day, or have they got a genuine interest? And in that does that come across in the the intonation of their voice and their body language? Um, when when they ask you a question, are they really listening to what you're telling them back? And do they expand upon that? And that that's when I think people are really starting to add value. I think one of the things, maybe just to kind of cross over the first couple of questions you asked, is the world's changed a lot over the last five years. And um, and I think the users of golf clubs will have some, to a certain degree, of change. You, you'd probably have a number of golf clubs in the UK that probably have, if you were to look at their membership now and their membership five years ago, 30 or 40% of their members now wouldn't have been there three or four or five years ago. Yeah, um, And so the question I always ask to people is, to the, the preferences, the needs and the wants of those new people frequenting your business, are they the same as they've always been or or have, have times changed and have things moved on? And, and I'd say that, I mean, do they, do they want competitive golf or do they want social golf? Um How interested are they in using the clubhouse or do they just want to get changed in the car park and walk onto the golf course? Are practice facilities important to them and how important? How, how much do they want to have a relationship with the golf pro team? Um, is their usage the same? Typically, you'd go to a to a kind of private member's golf club and the midweek would mainly be the senior guys and the and the ladies, um, who would be kind of Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, then then at the weekend you you'd have some of the ladies, but you'd have a slightly younger audience of working males and and that's changed a lot. We go to golf clubs every day of the week. And typically now you can see people who they work more flexi time. They they can take what time off they want. They maybe um, a game of golf can, can happen within their working day. Um, you look at the clubhouse space. Um, do people want to use clubhouses in the same way as they used to? Or, or maybe they want more entertainment, more big screens. Maybe they want a place to set up their laptop and do a day's work and maybe con- conduct some work meetings um, before they go out late afternoon and play a game of golf um maybe things like the decor of the clubhouse the, the pattern on the curtains and the carpet doesn't suit their preferences maybe the menu isn't right the type of beer you serve isn't right and so that that ability to move with the times and to to continually um, um try and satisfy the needs of your customers is, is a movable feast it doesn't mean you get it right once and that that lasts for the next 10 years um totally agree. It is very difficult to be all things to all people and I think um I think that's where a golf club manager's job is is to be is to be um most things to most people for as much as the time as possible i think I think it's very hard um to be all things to all people I think it's um the training of the staff the upskilling of the staff um the, the measurement um and the continuous improvement. Um, I think it is probably pretty key. Um, new venues open, things change all the time and and having an appetite to cont- to continually find out where you are and then want to get better um, is, is an attitude that can go from the top of the organization to the very bottom and, and um, that is what you feel. Um, I think th- to go back to what we were talking about in terms of interactions, that h- human connection and the the kind of warm embrace that a club membership provides is something that we talk about a lot that's there is a difference between being a member of a club and paying to use a facility and there is a place in the market for both um but it's great. typically the relationship that you have with the people in that business that creates the more memorable experiences in my
0: in my thinking i think you're absolutely right and I- one thing that is definitely striking a chord with me at the moment is that we, we started Golfing Society over six years ago. And I would imagine that the awareness of dementia and the impact it was having on not just the individual, but the wider family network was was limited. And the way that, unfortunately, dementia diagnoses are growing all the time. And as we age, we're, more people are obviously developing uh, developing this terrible disease. But I think there's a, a stat out there at the minute that sort of 24 million people in the UK are touched by dementia, either through their their direct family or by friends and acquaintances. So I think there's a greater awareness among society. And I think obviously that filters through into the golf club teams, the hospitality teams, because they'll have family members or loved ones that are facing similar challenges. So I think that As a result of it touching more people's lives by default i think a lot more people are aware of it now and possibly are thinking differently about a change of behavior and i think that's something we can definitely build on is the key players in golf venues that that maybe have had some experience sharing that experience with their colleagues and uh, you know and 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 the people that they work with and and maybe help when you get somebody upskilling in in that uh, in that way through the peer group, I think that's very powerful, and I, I think that I'm noticing that more and more as I go as I go around the venues.
1: Well, quite often I find just creating the um, the environment for people to share experiences, and like you said, if, if if people people quite often don't something doesn't resonate until until they hear it from someone else, and people feel like they're operating in isolation and Um, the ability to sit people in a room which is quite often what we do and talk about the challenges that they face and some of the situations that go on both inside their work life and outside is a really powerful piece and you quite often find that people people work with people in their own mind very closely on a day-to-day basis but they probably they get surprised about what they hear about what that person's going through or what what they deal with outside of work or um some of the some of their interests and so on and so just having the opportunity to take people away from the cold face and and have good open discussions about about both work and the the kind of challenges that they face and and to talk about it as a group and hopefully share some positive ideas about how people can move
0: forward I think is a really useful thing. Yeah and it leads us on really to the sort of last part of our little conversation together Will and it's You know me, I've got some big ideas about the future, about golf playing a huge part in transforming the health and well-being and happiness, not only of people facing a challenge later in life, but also their unpaid carers. And as I said to you earlier on, I've got two audiences, really. I've got those that have never been to a golf club, and I've got those that have enjoyed a golf experience through their life, but fallen out of it. And if I just just like to talk about that market in particular because as far as i see golf in society is there really for when the club can no longer give the quality of experience to an individual or a family that have possibly given 20 or 30 or 40 years of their life years of their business to that golf club and i would love to see almost that seamless move from basically being a full member to being supported by your club to then being in the position to signpost something that can keep that golf experience in that person's life when the when the club can no longer deal with it because of a you know a a change that is no longer something that the club can deal with so that's my sort of vision that we we step in or our programs or our training step in when that moment comes when people need to move on to keep that golf experience in the life, but the club can't actually deliver that service.
1: Yeah, I like, um, I'm like. i always a big believer in, um, like I said, I, I don't think a general manager can be all things to all people. And I think that ev- everyone has their, everyone has their role to play. Um, but also understanding the limits to your own role. And when there's someone better placed to, to deliver an experience or um, better educated to advise and deliver something to the right quality, um, I, I think is is absolutely the right, right thing to do. Um, far too often, experiences are compromised by people without the right level of skill or the right motivation, um, trying to deliver those experiences. Sometimes it is better to know when you're not best placed and to step away and to hand over to the experts. And that, at the end of the day, when you partner up with an organisation, that's a reflection on that organisation and your own club. And, um, you should always be striving um to provide the best experience utilizing the the resources that are available. And if golf and society are um the organization who can support the program and deliver quality, I'd absolutely support that being part of what people are doing. um there's far too many um, examples that we see on a kind of monthly basis of people overstretching themselves or perhaps, utilizing people in areas that, where they haven't had received the correct training or skill and and in the short term the person who suffers is the customer or the member in the long term it, it's it's also the business and the reputation of that business
0: totally totally and if it's okay with you i'm going to ask you the million dollar question now to to finish off our chat together uh, uh the future of the golf experience how do you see that developing in the next 10 years and where do you see it at in 10 years time will I think
1: there's a um, there's already a little bit of a move to to the to what we call the golf experience rather than a game of golf. I see them as as very different things in terms of a game of golf is what you experience on the golf course. Um, a golf experience to me, and, and I know I, I harped on earlier about the length of time it takes, but a game of golf to me is, is a day out, and it's the experience you get from the time you think about going for that game to the minute you leave that golf club. Um, so I think that the total golf experience the, the, the how golf clubs use technology to provide better information to manage expectations um quality of websites um the information that's given to a golfer automation within booking experiences um hopefully leaving more time for the people who are dealing with with members and guests face to face to spend more time rather than spending all their lives on the telephone um i think a focus on fun um it, it sounds like a pretty obvious thing but um so, sometimes I think the game is a little bit too serious and I never want to be that guy that says I, I love golf and I love that some of the traditions in golf and I love some of the legacy stories but I don't love all the all the traditions in golf and I think that some of those bits and bobs are a barrier um so I'm, I'm not a guy who's going to say let's do away with all that stuff but um opening up the doors um introducing new people to the game of golf making sure i think i think golf does a reasonable job with with youngsters um but then we have that big drop off so probably um people effectively using um flexible membership options or um membership options that allow people to still retain membership of of a golf club perhaps as their as they as they've got young families and and serious work commitments. So I think um, it's not an easy piece of work, but I think a degree of flexibility there. Um, Clubhouses, as we touched on before, um, being a place that serve a wider thing than just a place to grab a beer after a game of golf. So a place to meet with friends, a place to dine, a place to watch sport on the TV, um, a place to conduct business uh, um, and, and, more flexible spaces in clubhouses um but in general the one thing that i think will will sustain golf as um golf will be challenged make no bones about it in the next five years we've already heard stories of people seeing quite significant challenges with retention of those members that they got through COVID. the cost of living crisis will is 2023 it's not going to go away in the next 18 months that that will exist and so showcasing value for money becomes super important and the one thing that, that everyone has to acknowledge is value for money means different things to different people we don't all sit with the same um value expectation so some golf clubs will have members who play five times a, m- a month who think it's um awful value for money and some people will have members who play five times a year and think it's great value for money so we all think a little bit differently in terms of that but um a focus on understanding member and guest needs um and an ability to adapt your business and um do that in a slightly um quicker fashion than golf clubs have traditionally it means that you're going to be ahead of the game so um i think a in general let's let, make no bones about it a golf course is the primary reason why people go to a golf club and that will that's always going to be the same the quality of the golf course the architecture the playability. Um, but there is more and more value being given to the off-course experience, the entertainment, the fun, the welcome. Um, so those those human interactions and those basic connections are typically the reasons why people can't afford to leave you. It's the the relationship they have with your members of staff. It's knowing that people genuinely care about them, and it's a it's a I suppose an emotional attachment. And your emotional attachment is usually to the people you play golf with and the people you spend time with at the club as opposed to the facility that you attend
0: well that was fantastic what a what a great uh, way way to end our conversation together will i'd just like to thank you sincerely for, for your time and giving us such a great industry insight and i just love talking to like-minded people and like-minded organizations who put their customers at the heart of everything they do and I'm sure our audience are now better educated in terms of the 59 Club, what you do, why we work so closely with you, because we're kindred spirits on that customer experience. And it's uh, yeah, thank you for taking the time to share your thoughts and ideas on how you operate, on the future of the golf experience, and the future of golf for the audiences that we we support. So thanks, Will. Absolute
1: pleasure. Thank you very much.